Well, we continue this week our look at one of the Psalms, and I'd invite you to take your Bibles and join me as we read out of Psalm 150. You'll recall that the Hebrew word for Psalm is Tehillim, and it means a hymn of praise or praises. There are 150 Psalms, and they're divided into five sections. Now, each of the five sections has a closing doxology or a closing words of praise offered to God. So Psalm 150 not only is the closing doxology for the fifth section of the Psalms, but it is the closing doxology for the entire Psalter, which Psalter is a word coming from Greek, Hebrew, and Latin that means instruments or harp. The Psalms, as we've talked about, were written as poetry, but they were also written to be sung and to be played. So this morning, as we read the Psalm together, as you follow along, I want you to notice that some of the instruments were utilized in the uh, playing and the singing of the Psalms. Just imagine, as we begin verse 3, just imagine that you're a part of that great procession coming into the temple for worship. So the worship leaders, the choir, those who are playing the instruments are leading the way, and we're walking in, and perhaps this song is being, this psalm is being played or sung, and the musical accompany, accompaniment is resounding in this beautiful symphony of praise and worship to God. Now notice that the psalm begins and ends with praise the Lord. In Hebrew, that's hallelujah. Hallel is praise. Yah is a shortened form of Yahweh, which was one of the Hebrew names for God. So when we say hallelujah, we are saying praise the Lord. And you're going to help me this morning by saying praise the Lord as we begin and as we, re and, and as we end the psalm. So let's practice it one time. Ready? One, two, three. Praise the Lord. Now that was a little weak. So we're going to try that one more time because we're walking into the temple this morning and we are worshiping Yahweh God and the instruments are playing and we want to loudly proclaim what? Praise the Lord. That's more like the Oakmont way. All right, let's read the psalm and you're going to help me with the first and last verse. Ready? Together. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His acts of power. Praise Him for His surpassing greatness. Praise Him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise Him with the harp and lyre. Praise Him with tambourine and dancing. Praise Him with the strings. Praise Him with the 
and flute. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And together let us say, praise the Lord. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. And together we say, thanks be to God. Well, you just got a taste of what it might have been like to enter the temple in the singing or the playing and the worship through Psalm 150. You know, I like the story about how a pastor and a minister of music's relationship began to falter in the church to the point that it spilled over into open conflict in the worship service. One Sunday, the pastor preached on commitment and service to God. And immediately, the minister of music led the congregation to stand up and sing the old hymn, I Shall Not Be Moved. When the pastor preached on generous giving and tithing the next Sunday, the minister of music led the congregation to stand up and sing, Jesus Paid It All. When the pastor preached on gossip and how we should watch our tongues, the minister of music immediately had the congregation to stand up and to sing the old hymn, I Love to Tell the Story. The pastor became so disgusted that he told the congregation that he was considering resigning, to which the minister of music had them all stand and sing, Oh, Why Not Tonight? The next week, the pastor indeed resigned, telling the congregation that it was Jesus who had led him there and Jesus who was taking taking him away, to which the minister of music immediately had the congregation to stand and sing, what a friend we have in Jesus. (laughs) Now, I'm glad to report to you that Michael McKnight and I do not have that kind of relationship. And as far as I know, we don't have that kind of relationship with any of the other music staff. Elise is shaking her head. No, Sylvia and Jim are not shaking their heads. (laughs) I'm not sure what that means. But you know, the story reminds us all of the interaction that takes place in worship every week when we gather. Hopefully, every act of worship all complements each other to lead us to that point of offering our praise and our adoration and our worship of God. Everything that we do in worship, whether it is our music, whether it is our prayers, whether it might be a drama, a responsive reading, the ordinances, the sharing of the Lord's Supper as we'll do this morning, or a baptismal service, a parent-child dedication, commissioning missionaries out of a congregation on a mission trip for service, ordinations as we ordain deacons or ministers into ministry, the reading of the written word and the proclaiming of the spoken word, all of that should complement each other to lead us to praise our God. You know, one of the primary purposes on earth that we have as God's people 
is to offer our praise to the Creator God who made us for Himself. It was the 16th century theologian St. Ignatius of Loyola who writes, The human person is to praise, reverence, and serve God our Lord, and by doing so, to save his or her soul. You know, we often may do a great job of serving the Lord, but St. Ignatius and the psalmist in 150 remind us that we cannot fully serve our God until we have learned how to praise him and how to thank him and how to reverence him. You know, so much of our praise and so much of our reverence and so much of our worship that we do together on Sundays really is done through the medium of song and hymns and music and instruments. Psalm 150 is composed of 13 praises, hallels, praises to Yahweh in six short verses. Those 13 praises remind us of several things. We are told in Psalm 150 who is to be praised. The one who is to be praised is the God who is in his sanctuary. The God who the psalmist says inhabits the mighty heavens. We are told in this psalm why he is to be praised. For his acts of power and his surpassing greatness. We are told in Psalm 150 how to praise Him. Now, in this particular text, there are no mention of prayers, receiving an offering, the reading of the written word, or the preaching of the spoken word. The primary medium of praising God in this psalm is through the medium of music. And the psalmist provides us this visual and auditory and kinesthetic praise to a God for as much as who He is rather than what he does for us. In the psalm, we are primarily invited to praise God with every available musical instrument. It begins with the blowing of the trumpet. Now, the actual Hebrew word is shofar. And the shofar was actually kind of an unmusical instrument. It was a ram's horn. It signaled the presence of God, of Yahweh God, in the place for worship. It signaled we're ready to begin worship, the blowing of the shofar. And then comes this procession of instruments, such as the strings, the wind, the percussion pieces, and according to the psalmist, the louder the better. Can't you just hear the sounds of the Hebrew people walking in for worship, the sound reverberating in the cedar-paneled walls of the temple as God's people, worship leaders, choir, congregation, join together in this weekly symphony of praise. Now, you know, when I was a kid growing up, there was a man in our church by the name of Leroy Goodwin. Leroy Goodwin was a minister of music's worst nightmare because he sang in the choir and Michael, he seldom, if ever, came to choir rehearsal. That's why he was the minister of music's worst nightmare. Now, did he ever have a deep bass voice? And I mean, he could go all the way down to the bottom on some of those great hymns like There's Power in the Blood and Leaning on the Everlasting Arms. 
But because he was hit and miss with choir rehearsal, he was forever coming in at the wrong time on the anthem. And he was forever singing those low bass notes, flat at times, to the great consternation of my mother, who for a season of time was the choir director at our church. But one thing you could say about Mr. Goodwin, despite being loud, despite being flat, and despite being early or late on the anthem, both in his arrival into the choir loft as well as his arrival with singing the appropriate note, one thing you could say about Mr. Goodwin is that he praised the Lord with all of the gusto that God had given him. Now here's what I wonder. I wonder sometimes if God's feelings are not hurt a little bit. You ever thought about God's feelings being hurt? I wonder if God's feelings are hurt occasionally. Maybe uh, on a regular basis. When we cheer, when we shout, when we praise our favorite athletic team, or when we cheer and we shout and we praise our favorite political candidate, with unequaled vigor or we attend a musical concert and we're singing along with our favorite artist for the Barkers and for the Rogers it's James Taylor right but we sing along with our favorite artist enthusiastically and then we show up at God's house on Sunday like a bunch of bumps on the logs Dead wood, having to join hands to see if we can contact the living. You laugh at that, but some Sundays I look out at you and wonder if there's any living among us. And I'm not the only one I hear say that about you. I hear some of this crowd behind me saying it about you sometimes too. You don't know I overhear you, do you? Wonder how God feels when there's no active, visible sign of God through praise as we stand to sing to Him and to praise Him or through our other acts and modes of worship. Wonder if God wants us to join hands and try to contact the living too. Because there's nothing deep within us that has praise and there's no visible sign of it. Folks, let me tell you something. It doesn't have to be that way. And God doesn't, hasn't designed it and doesn't intend for it to be that way. Worship and praise and music should be our friend. It should be our companion on this journey as we praise God because He is a great God. He's the God in this Easter season that we continue to celebrate who raised the crucified Jesus from the dead, brought Him back to life and has now freed us out of our sin and out of our deadness, folks, he's greatly to be praised. You know the great Protestant reformer Martin Luther? He once asked, how has it happened that in the secular field, now, now this was back 
four or five hundred years ago. How has it happened that in the secular field there are so many fine poems and so many beautiful songs, while in the religious field we have such rotten, lifeless stuff? That's what he asked. He went on to say, we must read, we must sing, preach, write, and compose verse. And whenever it was helpful and beneficial, I would let all the bells peal, all the organs thunder, and everything sound that could sound. Martin Luther had it right. And there's one purpose, and one purpose alone for which he was right. When it comes to our relationship with God, it should begin, and on the day that we take our last breath, it ought to end with praise. It's all about praise. It's all about saying, Hallelujah. Praise Yahweh. So as we end this sermon this morning, we need to say Hallelujah together. Let's say it. Hallelujah. Friends, Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, all who do earnestly repent of their sins, and seek to live in peace with each other. So therefore this morning, I want to give you a moment of silence, both to praise your God in your own unique personal way, but I also want to give you a moment to confess the sin of your life. That word sin means to miss the mark in the Hebrew. It means to fall short of what God has intended us to be and to do. So this morning, I invite you to confess and to name your sin before God and to receive his pardon and his forgiveness. Would you join me and let us pray for a moment in silence? Oh God, our Heavenly Father, we do praise you this morning. We thank you for being the great God that you are. We thank you for sending your Son, Christ, into the world, who gave himself up for us on that cross and raised him from the dead. And now, in turn, you promise, Lord, to fill us with your Spirit, to put away the deadness of our life and to raise us up in newness of life with you. Lord, that's something to praise you about and for. And so we thank you and we adore you and we worship you this morning for your goodness to our life. We have named and confessed our sin. And we pray now, God, that you would pour forth your grace, your mercy, 
your pardon upon us. Forgive us, God, of those things that we have said and done, the attitudes that we have harbored in this last week, knowingly or unknowingly. Forgive us, O God, we pray. And cleanse us from our sin and remove it as far as the east is from the west. And remind us, God, that when we leave this table and we leave this place of worship and praise this day, that you go with us, that you walk with us in our journey of life. So hear our prayer as we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, sisters and brothers in Christ, the peace of Christ be with you.